Finding the right cleat can be transformative. Believe me, I've worn plenty during my career. So getting the right balance is crucial. The cleat needs to feel good on your foot, but also feel good connecting with the ball. The New Balance Furon 7 Plus is built with both of those points in mind, offering overall comfort and precise striking in the game's fastest moments. Because, as I learned the hard way, because I didn't possess much of it, speed matters in soccer. That's why the Furon 7 Plus is built for accuracy and precision at rapid pace and is engineered specifically for use on firm ground. Why is this the ideal cleat, I hear you ask? Well, not to get too scientific, but the Furon 7 Plus offers a lightweight yet supportive hypo-knit with mesh lining upper construction and is paired with offset lacing for a truer strike of the ball, which is a long way of me saying that your game will immediately get better when these are on your feet. Learn more and purchase the Furon at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Conrad, also known as Jim, alongside Hollywood Heath Pierce and Charlie Chuck Wagon, Morning Footy Davies. And before we talk soccer, a new sporting director for U.S. Soccer, Matt Crocker's interview with Morning Footy and the CONCACAF Champions League final. Two teams are in there now, LAFC and Lyon from Mexico and the dumpster fire that is Leeds United. I just want to say may the 4th be with you both, Chuck and Harry. I love Star Wars growing up, uh, and I got to relive some of that wonder through my kids who actually love episodes 1 through 3, which makes me question if they're actually my kids because I don't share in that love. But uh, we were all kind of like, what the F? Once Princess Leia flew through space in episode eight, we all wanted to walk out of the theater, just defied logic and anything that I related to Star Wars. And this isn't a Star Wars podcast, but I did want to get like, what was your favorite movie or current series of Star Wars? Chuck, I'll come to you first. Do you have one? I would say my favorite would be uh, The Empire Strikes Back. Ooh, good choice. Good choice. I knew that's why we were good friends. Amazing. That was amazing. Good choice. There's a lot working in that one. It is kind of weird that Luke kisses his sister in more of a romantic way than, than should be happening between siblings. But that's a conversation for another time. Heath, what about you? Any Star Wars stuff? That I'm, you at, I'm, I'm actually, you know, I spent most of my, like, younger years not really into anything like sci-fi. Like, I kind of had this inability to, wow. like, connect with being out there. Wow. But now I'm, like, that's like an escape for me, you know? Now it's like... Take now me to another, in. take me to another place. I love the Mandalorian. Uh, I, I just, I'm just a huge fan of of. That's a good just. I, yeah, I, I don't know. Just the way that it, the way that it, it's uh, just the story and and obviously the way that they 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 film it. I think is a, a really great. Just for me, just uh, yeah, I love it. I watch it again and again. So all right, I appreciate you guys. Good shouts. Yeah. Empire Strikes Back and the Mandalorian. We can all be continue to be friends. If you had said anything else, there could have been cause and, and uh, reason to not be friends anymore, but uh, we're all good. I'm curious to see what everybody else thinks. Hit us up at IWT pod on Twitter as well. Join in on the star Wars conversation, but let's get into the soccer big Sam Allardyce boys. 
has just been named as the manager with four games left to go for Leeds United. This is his ninth Premier League club that he has managed. And usually he gets brought in to save the day. And he's done that pretty successfully over the years. But his last one against West Brom, he did not. He took them over in 19th and they finished in 19th and got relegated. He hasn't had a job since. But the 68-year-old is undeterred. He actually said this in his press conference. Let's take a listen to these claims by Big Sam Allardyce. I think that, that I am old and antiquated, which is no far, so far from the truth. I might be 68 and look old. But there's nobody, there's nobody ahead of me in football terms. Not Pep, not, not Klopp, not mm. Arteta. So it's all there with me. Um, and I shared it with them. They, 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 they do what they do. I do what, do what I do. But in terms of knowledge and depth of knowledge, I'm up there with them. I'm not saying I'm better than them, but certainly as good as they are. Okay, so we got Big Sam saying... And looking like the Emperor, by the way, if we're just going to keep the Star Wars theme going on, uh, that he's up there with Pep and Klopp. And he threw Arteta into the mix. Heath, I'll come to you first on this. Arteta's got to be absolutely buzzing to be thrown into that conversation. He's got four games left here, Big Sam. Away to City, a home to Newcastle, away to West Ham, home to Tottenham. Do you think he can keep them up? Well, by the way, uh, it is convenient timing that like Liverpool aren't great this year and uh, Arsenal are going to drop the, drop the title, that he can throw those names in there period because any other year when it's like a two or three horse like two horse race you know like you're going out on a limb to say like I'm as good as them when you're brought in as like <laughs> as like uh, the closer you know what I mean that is a specialty that's a specialty job in baseball it's a specialty to- job in, in in soccer um but I I actually do I think that there is uh, there is a I mean we're low on time there's a lot that you have to do but if you can just I mean for, for me it's never been about we know leads can't score goals but they also just can't defend. And there was just some basics to defending that blow my mind that that I think Jesse couldn't figure out, Javi Garcia couldn't figure out, of just being able to battle and scrap and fight. You can't tell me on paper that Bournemouth is better than Leeds or any of these other teams that are just floating or, or surviving relegation in the end. Maybe a little bit better, but generally defensively, we've talked about this a lot of time, guys. We've gone through teams where you've had good defenders, bad defenders, and different defenders. But if you're organized and just have a set of principles of the way you want to play, you can be very tough to be like to get scored on, right? Now, if you're playing a top team, it's a little bit harder, but you can be difficult to be scored on. And I think that is something that they just haven't figured out how to do. They just continuously make mistakes. They seem spread out all the time. So if you can just lock that in, I don't know, maybe they've got a chance to get three points here and one point there. And he's, and, and he's claiming they got to get six out of these last four games. So that's two wins, Chuck. He's got some work to do. There's some some pretty big names here on that remaining list that he's got to face. I, I just don't see it. I, I don't. Do you? I mean, when you look at their schedule. <laughs> I don't it, see it from them, but I'm, we're talking about the coach just trying to do something spectacular. Because when I look at them, I go, man, I, I hedged because I like was emotional for the Americans. <laughs> they are so bad. All right. Listen. listen. Nil, Nilligan City nil against Newcastle Tottenham I'm still gonna go nil West Ham you 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 stand a chance to get a result at West Ham although West Ham has been playing better they've been playing better at least they 
I mean, for 45 minutes, they were able to keep a, a keep Man City from from scoring. Um, well, it takes 90, Chuck. It takes 90, unfortunately. <laughs> you know? but, but Leeds ain't even getting 45. That's my, yeah. my point is, I just think you're putting all your eggs in your ba- in the basket to get three points against West Ham. That that's basically what it comes down to. Or you're saying we can draw against West Ham, or we could draw against uh, Tottenham. It's not impossible. But I just, I just don't see them. I just don't see him doing it. Just right at the moment, unless Sam Allardyce says, "Hey, we're gonna lock it down and and keep a clean sheet." Our football is just gonna be straight defensive. We are parking the bus. If we lose, we're losing one nil. But we aren't. We are trying to basically finish games nil nil. That I think that's essentially what you're doing because you don't have a goal scorer. So you're 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 essentially trying to lock it down, park the bus. You get if you get lucky off a counter counter, you get lucky off a set piece. That that's that's how you're trying to to salvage the season. It's I, ugly, I, but it's that's ugly. what you gotta do. Yeah, I, I it's gonna be interesting. And I want to break down kind of how that impacts our American players in this situation. But if Man City had already clinched the league and they were playing City, then obviously you're gonna give them more of a chance. Newcastle still vying for top four. They're going to want to solidify that. So Leeds is still up against it from an urgency standpoint from Newcastle. West Ham are only four points off the bottom. So you like to think in a couple of games, they could still be in that situation. They're going to want to make sure they're distancing themselves and want to get a result. I think they're looking at Leeds like that's three points, especially at home. And then your Leeds are at home against Tottenham, who might still be in the conversation for a top four, though I doubt it, but definitely in Europa League or Conference League. So all four of these remaining teams have something to play for. It's not like they've got Fulham or Crystal Palace who are just comfortably in the middle of the table. And even then, they they struggled against both of those teams. So, yes, I agree with you guys. I think it's going to be a struggle. And we talked a couple podcasts ago about what was going to happen with these, and I had them going down. But I didn't know big Sam Allardyce was into the equation, right? So Javi Garcia, who just got sacked, and, and Victor Orta, the director of football, went with him because I think he defended the hire and, and went down with the ship there. But Javi Garcia just had an interview, and I think this is interesting, and I want to now play that into our Americans. But he said, I had the feeling that the players felt a little like a boxer who had been hit, who is down for a few moments and wants to get up but is not able to. It transmitted something negative that did not correspond with what I believe my players really are. There's a psychological aspect. A player can enter subconsciously into a vicious circle from which they cannot escape. And we did not have that moment go our way with the fine margins. So that's Javi Garcia having an interview, exclusive interview today, post-sacking about the situation with Leeds and the players. He also went on to say that they need to protect the younger players. Brendan Aronson is a name he name-dropped. That you have to be patient with young players. There's going to be ups and there's going to be downs, but you can't just cast them to the side. I'm paraphrasing here. Mm-hmm. When they're not playing well, you got to stick by them. And, and that was more, I think, with Elon Mesli, uh, Melier in, in goal for Leeds, who made quite a few mistakes. So now, Heath, I'll come to you on this because Big Sam comes in. And I think you're going to lose, and, 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 and I mean this with nothing but love and adoration, but I think there was still some idealism with Jesse Marsh and how he wanted to play and how they wanted to execute. Mm-hmm. And then Javi Garcia comes in, and he's trying to just put his fingers in all the holes there and just, like, manage the ship. He got 11 points out of 11 games, okay? So it wasn't bad. He got him out of the relegation zone. They were 19th when they took over. But those last couple results just were not good enough. So you got to let him go. Big Sam comes in, and I think you're going to get super pragmatic pragmatic as you guys are discussing just everybody back behind the ball and hope to hit them on a counter or a set piece and I wonder what our guys can take away from this experience because you know obviously a lot of these Leeds players went through this last year well I mean Heath went through 
a relegation battle, right? So you, yeah. you, you can touch on that. Yeah, I mean, it's it just it, it's not as easy as when when something's wrong like this. It's not as easy as changing a manager, right? You can get a couple couple you know eleven eleven points out of out of eleven. Not bad, not great, but like I remember, like, uh, and I've told this story to you guys before that they came in, they doubled everyone's bonuses in the case that we stayed up, right? Doubled everyone's bonuses and bonuses in Germany are already significant, but it was like you know we're giving you everything, everything, all the motivating factor. But it's just when things are wrong. It's not that easy to just flip the switch and just figure it out. Last year, they were able to do that, and, and they rode that adrenaline. But when I look at them now, I just go, man, you had the new manager. That didn't work. I'm just wondering, is it actually the quality of play? Is there actually just players on that team that cannot make big plays? And it's across the board. When I look at their back four, five, six, just it's constant. And maybe it's tactical. We'll find out, like, can they withstand 90 minutes of, of bunkering? I don't think so. Can they press higher up the field to get their goals and take the risk, giving up that space in behind? I don't think so. And so it's just not always, I've been through it, and every motivating factor you would need, right, uh, except for a change of a coach, was presented to us. And we still didn't figure out how to do it. And we had a good enough team to stay in the league. We had, you know, um, we had all those factors. We had shown phases throughout the year of, of, of quality, right? We lo lost our first, like, winless in our first five games of the season. And then we went on a run from there and we were like, you know, we were in the mix of it all. And with five games left, five points clear of relegation, um, we crumbled. So, so did you feel like, and could you see it with your, some of your teammates in that situation where some of them had just checked out, like they couldn't handle the pressure. It was just too big or, or, or whatever it may be, because I feel like, and this actually, when I think of look at Weston McKinney, he looks like somebody that's maybe checked out. Like, this isn't my real team. I'm on loan here. Uh, and, and maybe I'm reading the, the tea leaves in a, in a way that I shouldn't be. Because I think he cares. I think he's trying to do his best. There's no question about that. But it's just, there are times where maybe he could have done a little bit more. I, you know, you could, you could say that about any player on the team. But, but because this is a U.S. men's national team focused podcast, I want to kind of focus on our guys. Do you, have you seen players kind of check out and maybe not give the necessary energy needed to, to get that, get the situation back in control. I, I would say it varies from player to player because of your situation. Is your contract guaranteed for next year? Is your salary going to be cut in half if you get relegated? Because typically everyone takes a salary cut. It, it depends how much are, are you going to be moved? What are your motivations for playing? And, and every player has different motivations. Could be family, could be to support yourself, could be to basically fulfill your potential. You want to play for the biggest clubs. You want to play in Champions League. So it varies on what am I playing for? What am I playing for the club? Do I feel a, a certain connection with the club, right? And and so I think it, if you've come through the club and, and your academy uh, born leads all through blood – Blood on blood leads. I'm I'm passionate about the club. Well, you're gonna feel a different way in this mm -hmm. position than someone who's on loan to the club, and and you know you're not gonna be there next season. So, yeah, you'd like love to stay up because you you play to compete and to win. But at the end of the day, I'm I'm going back to Juve and, and then I'll make a move from there, or I stay at Juve. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But um, I, I will. Well, by the way, Charlie, on that, 
Yeah. He's going through that pressure every day of people saying, yeah, but he doesn't care. And he's not playing yes. well, but he's yeah. dealing with people going like, yeah, but he's not here permanently. He doesn't know. He doesn't represent the crest the way that you would if you were a true player. There's no downside. Like these are all the things that creep into the world of each and every player. Like you said, each individual has a different motivation or a different thing that's keeping them from being able to get the results. And, and to be fair, as a player, you're going to be ridiculed when things aren't going your way. Of course. Fans will, fans will find anything to, to use as a reason for your poor performances. But the whole team is playing. No, of course. I, I'm not trying to pin this on any any one player because I think there's been enough discussion. And if you watch any Leeds games, it's, uh, you know, cue the Benny Hill music or the circus mm -hmm. music. To It's just a comedy of errors all the time. And if it's not one guy, it's somebody else. And in fairness to Weston, I don't know if he's being utilized in the right way. We all know that he's better as an eight. And I think in this instance, he's being used as a double six. And I think Mark Roca is probably better as an eight. And they really miss Tyler Adams. That is as clear as day. I think the big winner out of this whole lead situation is how valuable Tyler Adams is to that particular team. And I could see him, if they get relegated, making a move to a different club as well. And I know there's some, some big names out there that are having him on their radar. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. So let's talk a little Brendan Aronson and then we'll move on to um, some other news in the Premier League with some of our Americans. Brendan Aronson, do you think Big Sam's going to rely on him? Do you think he has that Big Sam character that he that you need to because we know that he'll he'll run through a wall for you. But do you think that Big Sam and Heath, I'll come to you on this first and then Charlie, just jump in. Do you think that the the, the tactics that Big Sam is going to put out there Brendan can execute in the way because because we know they can he, he can hurt you on the counter. I mean, if he gets going, he can go. But this is a player that really hasn't been the same since the World Cup. And, and even he's acknowledged that publicly. Yeah, I mean, I I, I hope so. Again, I, I'm just, you know, when you go through these these moments, you just generally you look at a team and you go, this is where their an the answer is, right? Maybe it's through the mid winning the midfield battle. Maybe it's a good defensive line or a defensive six that can keep you in the matches. Maybe it's the fact that you've got an X factor of somebody that like you could scrap out and get you a goal, uh, you know, between your front three every couple of games. I just don't know where this team is going to get the goal or keep the clean sheet. One of those two things, I can't look at it right now and say mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if they clean this up or they clean that up. Tyler, uh, I mean, Brendan Aronson is a player that we've seen lose considerable confidence in form over time. And that's partially because it's, different in the way that he he's best at playing. It's also been just him on the field when he gets his chances, not looking good. So I don't know if you rely upon him. If you look him in the eyes and, and you see that, like, this is a guy that I can, I mean, some of it's going to come down to that sort of like, what's that energy that I'm getting from this person? Can I trust them? Are they going to deliver? I know you'll get a fight from him, but is the fight what you need at this point in the season? Or is it just a tactical trust and like, we're going to do this this way. We're going to, you know, and in times that we played away qualifiers, right? Where it was like, this is the system. It's ugly. It's not nice. We're not gonna we're not gonna dictate the play away from home, but we're gonna wait for our one or two punches. We're gonna punch them in the face, and we're gonna run into the locker room, get out of here with whatever we got, and and be on our way. Right? That was a system that worked at times away from home. Can they deploy that with the right the right players? Because a lot of that, even then at the national team level, is about trust. Right? In the same amount of time, you don't get to you don't get to spend months with the players. You don't get to build a system. It's about implementing something immediately that's gonna have immediate ROI. All right, Chuck, you want to give me your thoughts on this? I, I, It's funny because when I when I look at this game, Leeds versus Manchester City or Man City Leeds, I'm captaining 
Erling Holland in my team because I think the guy can dunk on leads and I'm going to get a whole bunch of points. And I think everybody else that plays fantasy is going to be thinking the same thing because there's just there's no faith. You can't have any faith in leads right now. I'm still dying about the the ROI. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to get ROI for this particular investment? I don't know. You know, who knows? This is the big question. It's a paradox. I'm going to invest in 30 million in Brent Aronson. Are we going to get that funding back? I don't know, but we're, we're in it to win it. Um, no, I think when you're looking at the the system, the, the three in the back that, Javi Garcia tried to play with was just absolutely and shambles. I think what Sam Allardyce is going to do is go back to a four, four, four two, one. They don't have two strikers to play. They don't, they don't have, have a six either. They don't have a one. So you, you just you gotta <laughs> throw in as many players as you can centrally clog up the midfield, force them down the wings, but from box to box, He's gonna he's gonna make it super condensed. There's not gonna be a lot of space between the lines. You, you don't want to get stretched, so you're gonna literally play condensed and play on the counter. Rodrigo's your only real attacking threat, uh, and and obviously he hasn't been the most dynamic this season or the best. But Sinistera and and Rodrigo, you look at are two players who are quicker than the rest. I don't even I wouldn't even say like they have that. X factor in terms of you have Jack Harrison as well. Yeah, but that's not a, a player who is 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 quick and get it getting in behind you. He's more of a you 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 get lucky in transition and he's one on one. He has a little bit more space and and then could create something kind of in a in a hectic way. Um, but that's not a player that you rely on to get results. He's never mm-hmm. been trusted as Jack Harrison. He's going to save us. Jack Harrison is that player who is a solid player, good technique. You, you know what you're going to get out of him. It's pretty consistent, but not a player that's going to take you over the top. And I think the fact that Leeds have to rely on him for creativity and production, uh, I think s- speaks the, 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 the truth why they are All in right. the position that they're in. So, Lead, uh, uh, Charlie doesn't like Jack Harrison, everybody. Just FYI. Jack Harrison. <laughs> I got nothing but love for Jack Harrison. This this kid went from New England prep school, high school like me. <laughs> we, we, made got him. we got him, everybody. We got him triggered. It only took us 20 minutes into the show, but we triggered Charlie Davies. All right. We're going to finish that conversation there. I uh, also want to add that Fulham has confirmed that Tim Ream is out for the rest of the season from the club website. They say Ream fractured his right arm. We'll have surgery tomorrow. He's expected to be fit for when the squad returns for preseason. What that means for the U.S. men's national team this summer, I have no goddamn idea so all right we're gonna take our first break of in soccer we trust when we come back we're gonna dive into that matt crocker interview so don't go anywhere when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply Streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. 
Welcome back to It's Soccer We Trust. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Charlie Davies and Heath Pierce. And if you are a U.S.-based fan of the beautiful game like us, Paramount Plus is an absolute must-have subscription from Serie A to the Champions League to NWSL and so much more in between. Also, if you don't think it's for you, what are you doing with your life? You can try one month for free by using the code EUROPE. Yes, get in there. One month for free. Go make it happen. Go get all the games, especially with the Champions League knockout rounds in full swing. Semifinals coming up very, very soon. All right. We promised the Matt Crocker interview. Matt Crocker is the new sporting director for U.S. Soccer. And he got to sit down with our very own Charlie Davies and the morning footy crew to answer some, I don't know, hard-hitting questions. Did you ask him hard questions, Chuck? Talk talk to us. Give us a preface of this. Were you nervous before you talked to Matt Crocker? Were you ready for him? Did you get to ask all the questions you wanted? Give us your insight here, Chuck. I've been waiting for Matt Crocker my whole life. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I've been go. sitting here waiting for U.S. soccer to hire a sporting director. I was, I was anxious. I was eager to ask these questions burning questions that we all have. I want to know the plan. We're all former national players. We're part of the brotherhood. We, we want to know what the future looks like. What, where, where are you trying to take us and how are you going to take us there? That was my intention with this, this interview. And I guess before the interview, I was a little nervous because I didn't want to get generic answers. I want, I wanted to hear you're dealing with a pro, though. Like, he knows how to give you generic games. Oh, the absolute pro <laughs> of all pros. He was he, – he, he, you, you couldn't shake him. Couldn't he, shake he came him. in with, like, the absolute most confidence, and he gave you more information than you wanted, so much that you you forgot what you asked. <laughs> okay, well, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Well, we got we got – we got the sound from this. We have a couple uh, clips for everybody to listen to. And the first one is Matt Crocker answering what is the ideal U.S. men's national team coach, can coaching candidate. So let's take a look at that now. Southampton until the, uh, until the end of this month. And I've got some other, other key priorities, but, you know, it is a, a key focus. And my intention is to move as quickly as we possibly can uh, to appoint in a, a head coach. Uh, however, you know, the where that head coach currently is in terms of their contract situation. Are they in work? Are they out of work? There's so many factors uh, that are currently outside of our control that means that things might move quicker or slower than, uh, than we anticipate. So, you know, to give a specific date is difficult, but we uh, it's my number one priority and we are working as hard as we possibly can to, to make sure that happens quickly. So if you had the, the opportunity oh, comes Chuck, to hire any manager in the world, who would you hire for this group? Good question, Chuck. Uh, I would hire a, a head coach who could tick the following boxes. So, for example, he dodged it. He dodged I would it. talk about uh, give me a name. behaviors. So a coach that would be give you a name. both in attacking and, and defending transitions. At a point, at a point, a coach that had a, a data set of, uh, of high performance in points per game that could win games. I'd be hiring a coach that. Do you think he has somebody in mind, though, Chuck? The age I do. Of the team over time and I, it I develops do. players and, and, and sees that as a brilliant opportunity. An international player, uh, international player. I'd be appointing a coach that uh, that tactically could play the style of player that I just talked about there. That could hurt teams with quick, fast attacks, but also um, could develop and, and grow and develop momentum in games and be able to be comfortable on the ball. And then probably the final piece, the the best final coach ever. Is, a, is a coach that would yeah. be a brilliant leader. So uh, does this coach even exist? Is this like a real person he's talking about? Get their kicks through, 
uh, supporting it's players. It's literally the definition of a coach. Like these are the <laughs> actual, um, on I need this coach to do all the these excellent things and do it well. We have to play as so pretty as possible and we need to win. Finally, I don't even think he's Somebody that just wants to come in and look at 2026 as a brilliant opportunity for them. I love it. I love it. I love it. sees beyond 2026 about you know, this sort of big long-term legacy piece of, you know, becoming, you know, US number one sport and and the part that soccer or football can play and the impact well, that that can Well, he's not shy in giving years, an answer, that's for uh, sure. To changing that dynamic that's and uh, creating some I mean, industry. So it's almost the type of person I'm really excited because... to, to be going and trying to find them uh, as quickly as you that is, can. That is one tactic when doing interviews, for sure. So, so Chuck, when, when listening to this, and, yeah. I, and I said it during, but I obviously we're, we're, we're hearing him at the same time. So I don't know how that's going to sound in podcast form uh, as we talk over him. But do you feel like he has somebody in mind and now he just kind of has to wait it out to see what the contract situation and, and if that's the case, it feels like it's somebody that's based in Europe. From the conversation, I like to think that the coach he thinks would be a great fit is in Europe and is under contract. And maybe his contract is either coming up to an end this this summer or it's got one more year left. But there's maybe some wiggle room where he can leave that contract and, and take over a national team. So obviously I'm hopeful that that's Car- Carlo Ancelotti. Whatever happens, I would take Ancelotti, I, by the way, I, we haven't thrown him into the conversation. But no, 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 absolutely no disrespect to Jesse Marsh. But I do not want to see after all of this. Jesse Marsh named. <laughs> uh, Charlie said no disrespect, disrespect to Jesse Marsh, but I absolutely do not want to see him as the coach. <laughs> Charlie hates oh, Leeds man. and Jesse. Jesus, he does. He hates Leeds. Like, yeah, yeah. Jack no. Harrison. He's going to take I just, just call Charlie a, pa- a passionate fan of, of the club, you know, and everything that goes wrong has to be uh, addressed, you know. Uh, Charlie would have stopped and given that kid an autograph. That's listen. That's listen hear me out. This is all I'm saying. Hear me out. Okay. <laughs> We go from Bruce Arena to Bob Bradley. Bruce Arena gets us to a quarterfinals and I think awakens the the U.S. fan to let people know that we can compete on the world stage against the biggest clubs, that it's a possibility that we could win something. Bob Bradley gets us to a Confederations Cup final, a FIFA Cup final, and out of the group as first place with England in the group. So we're making these steady, steady steps of becoming, uh, making noise on the world stage. Klinsman got us out of the group of death in 14. And, and, and yeah. we hire a foreign manager. Because I love that guy. We look how far we've come. Now let's get a, a European perspective. Let's hire a foreign him. manager. Jurgen Klinsman. We go, eh, we take a step back out in the second cycle. So we realize, oh, maybe we should have just done one cycle, not two cycles. Then we get to this point where we don't qualify for the World Cup. So we hire a young, up-and-coming American manager who, who has well, – Well, we actually had two names that did had success with us previously, Klinsman and Arena, that, that got we – didn't, we didn't qualify with those two guys in charge. Just, I just want to throw that out there. That, okay. That, yeah. I don't want to take that up, but – Sure, sure. Just, just adding that to the, to the narrative. That's yeah. all. We go in a new direction. Right, we hire a coach, young coach who. Oh, we had no coach for a good while. Yeah, but and then, then we hey, put some respect on Dave Sarikin's <laughs> name. He, come on, man. Well, he was the interim coach, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, sure. I didn't see him at the coffee shop. <laughs> we say we're gonna restart, hit the restart button, 
take away everyone who's basically played with the U.S. Men's National Team at this point, take them away, and hire a, a, a young up-and-coming coach who has not won a trophy, but that everyone respected the style in which he played in MLS. So that is the direction everyone wanted to go. For whatever – you could say that's horrible decision, but he took a young group, a nucleus, and got them into a World Cup and then got them out of the group stage, which – which is what everyone wanted. Now from here, where do you go? There's not, in my opinion, an American manager that could take this group right now and get them to play better than where they they were in this past World Cup. So I think that most, I think this generation, more players are heading to Europe to play for these big clubs. But in general, it feels that the, the movement is to play in Europe, to be in those environments, which is awesome. Can you get a manager who's respected in that in those environments to take this group to the next level? That that that's okay. that would be my hope. All right, all right. So before and Heath, I want to get one more Matt Crocker piece in here, and I want to get your thoughts on what he says. But this is Matt Crocker on the biggest challenges that he expects to face as the new sporting director for U.S. Soccer. Let's take a listen. A challenges. When you look at this uh, youth program from the, from the national team, both the men and women's, what, what are some of the biggest challenges? Yeah, I mean, Good question, Chuck. Biggest challenges for me is to understand, I guess, the size of the country and, and then some of the, the complexities that go with it. Um, so, you know, it is hugely, you know, we've got some great opportunities. It's a hugely diverse country. So how do we make sure that we tap into that and make sure that we can build really strong emotional connections with uh you know with a with a really big diverse uh, pool of players that potentially comes uh, can come into our program both on the men's and the women's side i think the biggest thing when i look back uh, on my time with, with england it's trying to get everybody pointed in the same direction and trying to get everybody working towards the same vision so you know if you're for example the under 17s coach whether it be on the men's or the women's side how do we make sure that they see their part in making sure that um the part, the part that they play is being, you know, success in 2026, 2020, you know, seven World Cups, whatever it might be, that they don't think their part is being successful at under 17s by winning games. So how do we make sure that they realise that their their part is to develop players for the next level um, and feel that they're really engaged and connected to that? Um, what it can't be is just about them winning and their team winning as an individual, because I've seen that done. And what you end up doing is picking the wrong players, the early developers, for example, um, and, and my job is to make sure that we've got a really robust strategy that we select. We have a proper selection and audit process to make sure that we select the right players for the program, irrespective of their size. But we know that long term, they're going to have had the development opportunities to be successful in the future. And that's when it counts. So making sure that coaches understand the part that they play in that is going to be really, really important. I, I want to jump in. And Heath, I want to get your thoughts on this. But the, the thing I think about is, OK, he's he's as a sporting director setting the parameters of, of, of this, but, but when you have a head coach of either one of the national teams, men or women's, if they want to play a specific way, they're going to be looking to attract different types of players. But if you then hire a different coach for the next world cup cycle, that could be completely changed based on the style and methodology of that particular coach. So I find that interesting is and in how he keeps some consistency with that type of messaging. Yeah. I mean, I, I fully agree with you. That's the hardest part, right? Is we're looking at this now going, who's going to take 
I think we have gone a step forward. Who's going to continue to move forward without having to rebuild the blueprint every single time with it, with a new coach. The thing that I was most uh, excited about that he actually said in that answer, which I think had some substance, which was the developmental model, right? I don't think it's U.S. soccer's job to develop players, but it is U.S. soccer's job to identify and monitor and continue to create pathways and opportunities for players. And so when you when when he talked about um, winning not necessarily being the thing, I think it's he's spot on. We miss a lot of players through our development pipelines because the emphasis on winning. We know that at the youth level, it's all about winning and blah 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 blah. We know that we don't need to go over that right now. But but at the national team level or at the elite level, it's still an issue. Uh, Jimmy, I know that you have your 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 A license, and and when I was going through my B license. And I'm not sure where they might have just given Charlie like an honorary uh, UEFA A and, <laughs> and another A and stuff like that just for being like knighted. In a, in a That's how he got on morning but, footy yeah, regularly. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure he's got an honorary Harvard degree too, as well, just for being <laughs> Chuck Davies and honoring him with his presence. But like, uh, you know, uh, Antal Vergier, who's who, who w- w- with US soccer, one of the things he talked about is at IAC specifically, you had players that were up and down two age groups, right? You could be 16, 17 completely underdeveloped, but a super talent, right? So underdeveloped, meaning physically, you can't meet the demands of the game for the U-17s, and they put you with the U-15s. And there's this constant shuffling of players and monitoring of the physical, emotional, like all these different parts of development that I think are really important that get overlooked when it comes to, I need to put the best players on the field today at the youth level because we got to beat the next the team that we're playing against versus the the mission or, or being able to go through that that pathway to identify, nurture, um, not necessarily develop because you don't have them that often, but develop through their through the relationships through their club systems. I think that's a, a really unique perspective that I think a lot share, but maybe not all have shared. Um, because you guys know, once you're the coach, it's not always that easy to go, well, I need to be able to be competitive, but also do this other thing over here. You're going to lean towards the thing that's going to keep your job, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Chuck, I, I also liked what he said about early developers, that at times coaches will gravitate towards those players to to his point and what he was saying because because it'll help you win but there might be other special players within the player pool at a young age that you can see they've got it they're just not ready yet and so it's going to be really interesting to see how we bring those particular players along and i do find it interesting that he says that it's not up to u.s soccer to develop players but to create pipelines and, and platforms for them to succeed and i think you're right on that it's just i hadn't heard that in a while and and uh and then it one, and I feel like U.S. Soccer did have that though for a while though Heath, you know the development academy they were taking on that responsibility. So I guess in many ways it's good that MLS and USL and other uh, NWSL are taking on more of that development and academy building. But yeah, Chuck, any, any thoughts on on that? I'm sure you've already talked about it on Morning Footy, but we want to hear it fresh from you right now. Yeah, I I'll be happy to speak on it, and and I'm glad that Heath is acknowledging the kids uh, of of the country that are hopeful uh, professional soccer players in the future because he doesn't like to wave or sign autographs. Well, well that'd be, they, they, <laughs> hey, 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 that, you know, <laughs> like Charlie, the reason, the reason those kids made it because they faced a little <laughs> adversity. You know what I mean? Imagine, imagine every kid just got what they wanted all the time just because they showed up in a full kit uh, standing in a hotel. Hey, you know what I mean? got one, Jimmy. Got yeah. him. You got to hook the Marlin right there. Hey, Jimmy, Jimmy, 
Jimmy, that, that's a callback to like a, Jimmy pod, a podcast. Lived ago. and died by a chip on his shoulder. Imagine if Jimmy didn't have the chip, he would just be yeah. that kid in the lobby. What if all those know? all those professional like, athletes signed autographs for they me? Signed I his would shirt like, every time. Fine. Jimmy would have been like, "Yeah, I I I basically own this place." You know what I mean? I, I, knew, got no, I, knew, no work I knew I could trigger him. I knew my I entitlement would be coming out of my ears at that point. Oh, I knew I had to get he got him. You got him. Got him. Got there. Well, I I actually think U.S. soccer is responsible for for the development of kids in in this country but they're not the only ones and i think they were putting it on themselves to be the only ones for for a while i think they certainly are because u.s soccer is a nonprofit, so everything that they bring they have to reinvest back into the the country into the programs into continuing to develop the game so they they should be responsible for helping find talent develop talent give them a foundation, a safe playing spaces along with the U.S. Soccer Foundation. But in terms of MLS being a part of it, USL, everyone should be swimming in the same direction. And I think that's what is, is really important. And if Crocker can align all of these, these um, corporations and, and organizations, entities, yeah. entities to be in, in the same uh, kind of wavelength in, in terms of developing talent, finding talent, giving them a a structure. Sim- it, it goes back to us when we were playing in in our youth days. There was club and there was ODP, and that was it. There was no and uh, you know AYSO and and development here and academy league here. It's all one, and it, I think it made it a little bit easier to find the the gems because everyone's playing in the same leagues within that state. And then you can just, whereas now it's very uh, fragmented, fragmented, very. And so having the scouts being able to ID talent and knowing what talent is, because at a young age, it's not who can run the fastest and who's the strongest and who can shoot the furthest. It's more about your thought process and your technique and positioning because some kids they just have it in them but because they're maybe smaller or not as strong they get left out and 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 so crocker being able to help us us soccer landscape identify talent at such an early age and just giving them the the right tools that will be a massive step in the right direction so that's that's what i'm hoping for with crocker and i think we all could see that crocker is is quite the talker I mean, he, he <laughs> look is at Mister Ryman over here. Guy. It's, it's it's incredible. Yeah, the one stat that I throw out to everybody, and the one that I find fascinating as it pertains to youth development, is that uh, in a ninety-minute game, an average pro will touch the ball for two minutes. So, so, and you'd like to think that youth kids touch it even less because they don't have the wherewithal or the first touch to control it as as well as a professional. So, what are the kids doing in the rest of the time? How are they understanding spatial and situational awareness, team shape, all that type of stuff? And I think our kids are getting better technically, but I don't always know that if they're getting better on the tactical side of the game, but that's a conversation for another time. Probably a whole podcast to dedicate to that. All right, we're going to take our second and last break of In Soccer We Trust. When we come back, we're going to talk about the CONCACAF Champions League. We have our two finalists and apparently Messi to enter Miami. Is that going to happen or not? I don't know. We're going to get into it and talk about what's happening. So don't go anywhere. 
on May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. Oh, baby. Welcome back to A Sucker With Trust. I'm Conrad Dino here with Chuck Wagon in Hollywood. And we are excited to... Get into the CONCACAF Champions League because MLS is on the precipice of winning back-to-back titles. And I'd like to think that LAFC, who beat Philadelphia 3-0 in leg two of the semifinals in LA, are the slight favorites over the team from Mexico, Club León, who really took it to Tigres. I thought in both legs, we're a little unlucky not to get the the results in leg one. They lost 2-1. They gave up two goals right before halftime. But this home game uh, at their home stadium... I thought they were excellent. They had to wait till the, the 78th, 79th minute to, to get the winner, but it was enough to see them pass Tigres. This is their first ever CONCACAF Champions League final, and uh, it's going to be a good one. I will say Club Leon don't have a great record against MLS teams. So I think, again, that favors LAFC. Also, I should add, LAFC have the second leg. Leg one's going to be in Mexico on May 31st, and leg two will be in L.A., on June 4th. And I want to now throw it over to our resident LAFC expert, Heath Pierce on this. Do you think having leg two in LA helps LAFC or do you rather have it in LA leg one that kind of helps set the tone and then go down to Mexico and get a result or, or wh- how are you feeling about this overall? Cause I- I'm liking LAFC over two legs here. Yeah. I like them, them being at, at home. I mean, you, you saw it. They, they did the first leg away and right now as an unbeaten team in within the competitions uh, in North America, they went to Philly. Philly had the better of chances. Should have won that game, I I believe. There was chaos at the yeah. end. They got the goal that they needed, right? And they have this belief system again that they can stay in matches. Then they bring it to home, and that place is going to be buzzing. So it's like even at a 1-0 loss away from home, I still like LAFC in the, in the second leg with the players that they have. They're just – I mean, I think I, – I mean, I do think Philly, Philly kind of – crapped up a few things there, not just the – Yeah, I got a red, red card. card and and that, some substitution changes and – yeah, I think I think that they just didn't didn't find a way to to kind of do the Philly of of the past, and you know some of that is again like you know Bedoya stayed on. I think Bedoya is at an age now where you know you take off a Jack McGlynn. There's there's I think there's instead of a Bedoya and things like that where it's the the legs that the, the miles they're putting on a player like him, I just think is unsustainable into the future. He doesn't like Bedoya. No, okay. no, he's, oh. that's right. put his flag well, in the ground. We'll see. There. Hey, when I go to play Bedell in New York, and if he comps me, then I'll I'll go back into being like he's got to start all. You know, <laughs> he's got to play uh, all ninety minutes. Of, yeah, play ninety the rest of the way out. That's the way it works, man. There's no free lunch around here. Um, all right, but yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Chuck, uh, LAFC, obviously reigning MLS Cup and Supporters Shields winners last fall. They could lift their third trophy in the last eight months if if they go on to win this. And not only has it been Carlos Vela, who's been pretty prominent in, in pulling the strings for them, but it's Denny Buanga that's been fantastic. He's got six goals and four assists in six CONCACAF Champions League games, scored a 90th minute goal against Philadelphia to really put the nail in the coffin there for that one to book their ticket to the final. How are you feeling about this? I obviously friend of the show and, and one of our teammates, Steve Chirundolo, doing a great job with LAFC. I mean, do you think that they've they've got what they need to, to go on to win this? They, they absolutely have what they need to win this this competition. And to go back two years, three years, uh, Leon played LAFC in CONCACAF Champions League and uh, Leon won the first leg 2-0. Mm-hmm. 
And it was the second leg that LFC playing at home won three nil. So they've already had that history. And when I look at this, this matchup, LFC are, are so dynamic. And the way that you hurt Liga Emeki's teams are, is with the athleticism and pace. And LAFC can break you down so many different ways. I mean, not only Denny Buanga is he is he playing phenomenally right now, MVP for sure at the moment, Carlos Vela, but Timothy Tillman is an absolute beast as well. And we've seen what he's added to this LAFC side. Opoku has has started to develop and show why he was initially signed. So I I am I'm really feeling this LAFC side. I think Steve Trundle has managed it perfectly. I mean, even going back to having Gareth Bale and Giorgio Chiellini and integrating them in the squad at the right time, knowing that they're not sharp and match fit and dealing with the travel, which they haven't been used to, but also not alienating players in the squad already. It's a difficult task as a manager to, to manage egos and, and hope and youthfulness in experience with with the maximum maximum experience. So he's done an incredible job of of steering this ship in the right way. And it's it's easy to say, oh, he was given the keys to the the best club in, in Major League Soccer with the most talent. It doesn't work that way. You have to be able to navigate and and have these the dialogue with each player and get everyone to buy into your philosophy. So. Um, kudos to to uh, Sven and what he's been able to Sven, do. Sven, we love Sven uh, with, with LAFC. Now, uh, it, with regard to Leon Los Verde Blancos, they have a great coach. I, I got to give a shout out to Nicolas uh, Lacramon's team. I think that I think a conversation will be had is at one point, well, if you do well in Mexico, will that translate to maybe getting more opportunities for coaching jobs in MLS? I think that'll be interesting to see, and I think he should be on a lot of radars. For for MLS clubs, especially if they're struggling, I'm looking at you, Sporting Kansas City in particular. But but Leon have some some good players. Goalkeeper Rodolfo Cota is, is excellent. Uh, they got Angel Mena, the winger. Uh, they got some younger players too that people should look out for: Fidel Ambris and and Victor Davila. And then they have Joel Campbell, who's been around for like I don't know how many years. The Costa Rican international. He's on their squad as well. What I think is interesting is that they're going to start their playoffs, the La Laguia, on May seventh. And it looks like they're going to face off against San Luis to start. But if they have a nice run in the playoffs, that could put them in that right mentality, right mindset. Or conversely, if they get knocked out early, they're going to have a little bit of time to rest leading into these particular games. And I wonder who gives that, who has the advantage there based on how far they go? Or, or do there's any advantage at all, Heath, on, on what I'm saying here on this narrative? I mean, I, I, I would definitely think that there's an advantage in that. Playing in consequential matches of that level, whether you win or lose, I still think there's like, you know, knockout games are very different than than league matches, as we know. You know, playoff mm-hmm. matches where you're you're playing legs, and I think there's there's a value. Now, the downside could be poor results or poor form could lead to to something different. But having that that sort of way in which you play, where games start a little bit tighter, right there, and I know there's there's two legs in this final, but replicating that type of there will be an ultimate consequence to however we play in this one versus points in a league. I think. Are, are very different. You know, obviously LAFC are in form, and so that's something uh, completely different. But I, I think to be in matches like that to prep you, yeah, I think it's a big deal. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And obviously, this is exciting news for LAFC and LAFC fans. We'll see if they can get their third trophy in eight months. That would be a very big deal for Steve Trondola, who we like to be the national team coach at some point. Maybe 2026 is a little bit too soon. All right. 
Chuck, let's move it over to Leo Messi. He apparently uh, skipping work to go to Saudi Arabia, and he's been suspended and fined by PSG. And it looks like that relationship is over. His contract ends in June. Now, there are a couple options for him. There have been talks about going back to Barcelona. They obviously are mired in their own financial situation, so I don't know how that's going to work given the wages that I think that Messi should earn and deserve in some ways. And I know that Barcelona have butted heads with Javier Tebas, the, the president of La Liga. But even the president of La Liga has to understand the value of having Messi back in his league. So I wonder if they can figure out some situation there. So there's one option for Leo Messi. Then there's Saudi Arabia in particular. There are projections of him making up close to $400 million a year, which is insane. And then, and then there's Inter-Miami. We saw David Beckham over there in Paris last week. Uh, you know, obviously he played for the club, but uh, he might be on a you know Trojan horse mission to get Messi to get a little bit closer to playing in MLS, which would be, I think, exciting for a lot of different reasons. We still got some juice in his legs for sure. He still wants to play in the Copa America next year in the U.S. Where do you think Messi's going to go? Do you think Inter Miami he have much of a chance? I mean, and and also conversely, how much goddamn money does Messi need? I mean, I, it's it's is there a point where you're like, I've had enough. I'm just going to go play for fun. Or is this guy always just kind of chasing the dollar? I don't know. You let me know. I think Saudi Arabia is convincing as it may be with uh, a price tag, like $450 million a year. <laughs> just well, insane. You're, you're already seeing Cristiano Ronaldo turning his head saying money isn't everything. Yeah. And he wants to leave now. Well, that's the rumor at least. Right. And if, and if that's the rumor, if there's any truth to it, which I wouldn't be shocked if there is that Lionel Messi is thinking about still playing in Europe because he still wants to compete at the highest level. And, and Barca obviously is his, his dream. If it's not Barca, I think Manchester city with Pep Guardiola is probably the only other place that could afford him and where he'd want to play because of that relationship with the manager. Other than that, the options are slim because who else can, can carry a Lionel Messi in his salary and have it be comfortable and also have it be in a place that suits his style of play. Manchester city is a great spot. And I'm sure that he would consider that if that was an option. And then inter Miami makes the most sense, especially with Argentina setting up a, 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 a base there to train and find players. And if you, if you have that, plus Tata Martino has already talked about wanting to come back. If, there was ever a hire that you could make. And, and if Messi signed off on it and said, I'll go to inter Miami. If Tata Martino is given the inter Miami side to rebuild around Messi in Miami, that makes that, sense. It has to be attractive too. When you think about it, because if Messi went to Miami, you got Tata Martino there. And obviously he's got a proven track record of success with Atlanta United. You could probably attract a lot of players to want to come to Miami for a lot of reasons, but to also just just to be Messi's teammate, to be a part of that adventure, I think would be pretty interesting. I think you could get a lot of the Tiago Almadas of the world to to young South Americans in particular that want to come and play. I, I don't know. It's interesting, Heath. I, I wonder the impact of Messi if he did end up coming to Inter Miami. Either way, it's a nice link for the club. It obviously puts them into a global conversation, which isn't easy to do all, all the time for MLS teams. Yeah, I think for 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 Messi though, he's going to be 36, right? So when you're talking about building a team, you're building a team for now, um, and you've got guaranteed contracts that you got to see out. You've got a salary cap to deal with. So maybe you'll get other top players towards the end of their careers to come and go. Like, let's make a run at this, and you know, have the whole Gareth Bale type of like, I'll be a DP in year two if I hit certain metrics and things like that, that they can figure out for the future. 
uh, it'd be it'd be huge. But the thing that you're competing with now is Saudi Arabia, right? And Saudi Arabia, Messi is not. They're not bringing Saudi. They're not bringing these guys to to build the league. They're bringing them to build the country, right? They're bringing bringing them to drive growth of the country. This new era of Saudi Arabia and and sort of MBS's belief in like sort of modernizing the country. Well, you got to start bringing people there. They're building these like cities out of nowhere. They're doing all these things. They've got the population that they want to grow this into being well, the, the hub for the Middle East. And well, that's coming and I, through this marketing material, not necessarily the product on the field. Well, we should also insert this part of it into the conversation, which is Saudi Arabia wants to host a World Cup in the future. Yeah. And so to do that, they have to put all these foundational things in place, which speaks to your point. Keep going. Yeah. No, no, that, that was pretty much it. Like you're you're competing with a, a, an amount of money where, again, he's posting Visit Saudi. He was doing that before the World Cup, like as that is their tour, like board of tourism. That's the future of, of, of Saudi Arabia who's making like massive strides from where they were as a, as a very, very conservative country to being much more open to the rest of the world. And they need these marketing materials to do so. You can't compete with that in, in terms of money, but you, you, that's when it's going to come down to, to, to Messi or Ronaldo of uh, knowing like, is this what I want to do? Is it the money? Uh, they're going to be billionaires by the time they leave or, or well into being billionaires. Or do you have a little bit left in your tank and you want a different type of lifestyle? Because by the way, he could do two years in Saudi and just move to Miami because he wants to, right? Like it doesn't right, have to right, necessarily, right. like he can no, move and true. live anywhere he wants. That's true. That's true. Uh, it doesn't have to be an on-field thing at that point. All right. We're done with that part of the conversation. We're here towards the end. We're at the finish line. We have a big weekend of games. So, guys, I'm going to throw it over to you. What is one game that all of our In Soccer Week trusters should watch this weekend because of its importance for whatever reason you come up with? I mean, we could argue that Manchester City versus Leeds is going to get my attention in some capacity. Charlie, I'll come to you first. You're on the hot seat. What, what's the one game you're looking at this weekend that you think will be the most exciting? In in world football or yeah world but but hopefully there's an American attached to it I mean I know that there's a lot of good games in Serie A this weekend but but I don't know if there's an American attached to those particular games. Well, I I guess I can do both. Okay. So, wow! Look um, at him sprinkling some magic on us. Go Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> in, ter in terms of of MLS, um, I it, it's still inconceivable to me that LA Galaxy can be this bad for this long and they're playing Colorado. If there's ever a must win, that has to be the game. There's, there's no, no doubt about it. That, that is the game to watch just because two, two teams were struggling, trying to figure it out. If, if you ever have something that you're, you know, looking forward to, it's, it's that um, maybe we get a win to spur on the team. Uh, in Liga, it's Marseille versus Lens, and that's two versus three. That's a massive game. That's that's a big game that I'm looking forward to. Um, I know there's no Americans uh, there, but Frank McCourt owns Marseille, so that's all a, right. There he goes. He found the time. Hey, Reems Reems Lil. That's uh, Balogun uh, Wea matchup this weekend. That's a good one. That's a good shout. I like that one a lot. Which clearly Charlie doesn't like Americans anymore. He just wants to watch the big, big games. Well, what I find interesting is that that in Spain you have Almeria on 36, Cadiz on 35, Valladolid on 35 points, Valencia is one point out of the or one spot out of the relegation zone so with 34, Hitafe is on 34, and Espanol is on 31. Hitafe and Espanol just got wins in the last one. So anything Valencia is doing is something I'm paying attention to, and they're a way to sell to Vigo kind of see if Yunus uh, Musa and his crew can get out of this dire situation. Celta's lost four out of their last five. So there's a lot There's a lot going on, obviously, as we get near the end of the European seasons. 
How about Newcastle, you, Heath? What are you looking Newcastle, at? Newcastle Arsenal. We got back. <laughs> yeah. Bench. yeah, that's true. That's true. It's my squad. But what are you, you saying? Know, Amer- American ownership groups. Charles just reaching out there to get uh, to put his favorite games on the on the old. Uh... <laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean the 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 little um, Rams one is probably probably my favorite. I'm continuing to watch um, Gank with Mark McKenzie. You know, that's a tight one. A lot of good teams in that. They're two points clear now after the first weekend of matches. So um, they're playing on Sunday. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, I'm I'm sure I'm missing a couple other big uh, uh, Dortmund versus battles, Wolfsburg. But... Second versus seventh. Yeah, right we're now. just we're just in a bad place with Americans right now. That I, yeah, I think Charlie, yeah, yeah. I think Charlie did the right thing of just call out the good, <laughs> the big games to watch this weekend. You know what I mean? Because it's not going to mostly not going to include Americans at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of the state of it right now. But hopefully that changes very soon. All right, that's the end of the show. And soccer we trust is over. So on behalf of producer Des, producer Alex, Charlie Chuck Wagon, Davies, Hollywood Heath Pierce, I'm Jimmy Cream Cheese Trash Can Connor Dino Conrad saying thank you for listening and watching and showering with with us with love. Uh, throughout this show and of course uh, over the months and we appreciate you and we want you to have a great weekend and we'll see you on Monday later